Welcome back to this week's episode of the Seatown Podcast, where Seattle business owners, entrepreneurs, and community leaders are invited on to share their stories with us. Today, I'm joined by Jacob Wigner, the co-owner of Blackboard Bistro. Thanks for joining me today, Jacob. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate your time. Um, so, I mean, it sounds like you know you and your wife have pretty interesting, you know, back uh, backstory as far as you know. And where you were born, where she came from, you know, how Blackboard Bistro came, came to be. Would you mind uh, telling our, our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I was born in Iran to parents from Pennsylvania mm-hmm. um, right before the revolution. And since then, my, my early childhood was spent mostly in, in the states, north, south, east, west, mm-hmm. um, North Dakota to Florida. Um, and then when I was a teenager, we moved to London, um, where I went through high school and where I started to cook and met my wife and our oldest son was born there. Um, London very much is kind of, it's been a while, but it was very much a second home. Okay, um, okay cool. What, what brought you guys out to Seattle? Um, after we had our oldest son and, and London was no longer... Uh, economically viable to live in when when we lost my wife's income um we we decided i hadn't lived in the states in about 13 years at that point and we decided to to come and try it out my wife's from new zealand Uh uh we met in london um and we decided to come back to the states and my parents at the time were living in florida and with a new grandson we decided it'd be good to live close to my parents and Uh, so we lived there and I had a great job with a company I really enjoyed working for. I was with the same company the whole time, but my wife hated Florida and mm. culinary wise. I, I hear it's, it's, it's come a long way, but you know, at the time there wasn't much going on. Sure. Um, and so we, we wanted a city that had a, a really good culinary scene and, and a good culture to go with it. That was family friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and affordable which it's changed a little bit since then too i think but uh at the time seattle met the bill um one of the companies my father used to work for was based here um, when i was a kid so we used to come out on time to time with business and i just i always loved the northwest i always loved seattle and it reminded my wife a lot of wellington in new zealand where she grew up a slightly bigger wellington uh she's described it as um so here we here we are nice that's awesome did you guys initially settle in west seattle or? no we moved to ballard uh and i worked up in capitol hill for three years mm-hmm. um up at olivar which is unfortunately no longer there um but uh yeah again just really got lucky with my job my boss i helped him open that place and he in turn when i open up blackboard was just a huge help to me and and an excellent resource and um got really really lucky um he he helped me a lot that's awesome well when uh when do you guys open the doors for a blackboard it's been six and a half years okay um and how did that come about what what kind of made you want to change from working you know for someone else to opening your own restaurant the idea was always to open our own restaurant when we came out here, but I wanted to work for someone else first, you know, and get to know the purveyors, the area, the the people, you know. I think sure. it's very important rather than just jumping in totally blind. Right. So, I mean, I was honest when I interviewed with my, my former boss, Philippe, you know, I, I, I told him my next my next move was to open my own place, and I said I'd work for him for a year, and that ended up being three. Sure. Um, 
but uh, I, that was always the plan. Okay, and he was, he was real supportive of that? Yeah, he was. I still talk to him weekly. He's, awesome. he's a dear friend. Sure. Um, yeah. That's great to have that, that support, you know, mm-hmm. especially getting going. I mean, it's, it sounds like you had lived here for, for a while in Seattle, but uh, I mean, opening a new business and a relatively new town. <laughs> he's still, I still call him up for advice, yeah. you know. That's awesome. What, what do you love most about what you do in your business? Um, I love the creative, the creativity. Okay. Um, we do everything, you know, is, is fresh and daily and I go shopping and I come back and cook and, you know, some things hang around for a while and some things are there for a day or two, but I, I, I like that control of the, the, whenever something gets tedious to make or boring, it's mm-hmm. time to stop making it. Sure. Um, because you don't put the same love and interest into it. It was always my idea with the restaurant. I worked in many places over the years that didn't change their menu ever. Mm-hmm. And you, you as a cook, just get really bored cooking the same food every day and become robotic in your actions. And, and I think the food eventually, you know, takes its toll. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, if it's always fresh and new, you're always excited to make it. Sure. Are you the main creative force behind the, the menu and the, the cooking at, at Blackboard? Yes. Okay. Um, and then I guess just on a, a day-to-day you know, operations uh, standpoint, are, are you the main main chef there or are you kind of run more business stuff and you have half cooks now? It's, it's me. It's you, okay. <laughs> um, over the years, I, mean, I started with cooks. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a small kitchen, small restaurant. It's mostly been me and a sous chef. Mm-hmm. Um, and as ink salaries went up and, you know, the, the minimum wage going up caused everyone else's wages to go up. And that, that's, that's been a struggle, you know, a lot of small businesses I'm sure are going through it too. And and recently I've, I decided to go in alone and, um, (laughs) and so it's just me in the kitchen now and I've, I've got a fantastic front of house that are really supportive um what uh, when you first opened the doors what was the most surprising or unexpected aspect aspect of uh, opening your own your own restaurant um i think the, the biggest challenge when we we first opened the doors was coming to terms with what my and our vision was First, what people wanted. I think so many chefs, and myself included, uh, was at fault of getting caught up in our own egos and mm-hmm. and and trying to feel the need to educate our customers as opposed to give them a product that they want and are are familiar with. And mm-hmm. I think that was the biggest challenge. You know, I, I love awful and organs and liver and sure. you know and and but not everyone does, or even people who might. If, if, if that's all you're serving, you're going to scare them off of yeah. that. Um, and I think finding that balance between the familiar for people mm-hmm. of things they recognize and want versus challenging them a little bit. I think that was that was hard for me. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I've never had a, I've never had a, a restaurant owner say that, but I mean, that's... It's interesting to consider. I mean, how did you you find that, that balance? Well, I had no, I had no clear concept in that we weren't a burger joint we weren't a 
you know, Chinese restaurant week, you know, it was like whatever I felt like cooking that day, which, which could run the gamut. I was classically trained, you know, cooking French food, but lived sure. all over and traveled all over and got to sure. experience so many other cuisines. And I wanted to bring that to one menu and then the bistro setting. And I think it was just honestly what, 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 what finally settled that conflict was getting over your ego a little bit yeah. you know it's, it's it's not about you it's about providing a product that people want uh, how, how would you define you know blackboard's menu or what kind of re what kind of food you you create or uh, what what it's known for i say it's eclectic um okay. we always have noki on the menu it's one of our specialties that. that i'm you know that people expect to see there um, so there's some parameters, but I, I tell people really the menu reflects what I'm hungry for at the time, what I'm enjoying eating sure. myself, um, because I do, you know, I'm yeah. there all day and I have to eat the food too. And, sure. and so it's, it's, it's what, you know, sometimes it'll go a little bit more Southwestern or, or Mexican sometimes, you know, I'm feeling nostalgic for London and Scotch eggs will appear because, you know, I'm hungry for them, sure. you know, and, and so it kind of runs the gamut. Okay. Are those sort of changes day by day or week by week? Or? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, there are salads and stuff that rarely change because they're good salads. and But other things, you know, I, I call, I get most of my fish from Mutual Fish and Rainier, mm -hmm. a fantastic company. Um, and it's calling them and saying, what do you have? You know, yeah. what's, what's, what's great right now? And, you know, yeah. going shopping for the produce and, and going, oh, that looks really nice. I want to cook that, you know? Right. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. The, uh, I'm one of the first, so my, so my wife's a trained chef. Uh, she's also a dietitian. Uh, and so before I met her, like, I didn't even know what a foodie was. Like, never heard the term, you know? And uh, the, I remember the first time I, I was kind of introduced to that idea kind of, that, uh, that, that concept that you said that you know kind of a lot of chefs kind of have these egos and they kind of want to push their creativity on people or on, on customers you know even when there may not necessarily be a, a market for it you know um, she went to, to New England Culinary Institute you know and uh, she went with with one guy who uh, she ended up being on, on you know top chef or whatever and so we we're watching him and you know even though it'd been 10 years since since she she'd been there she was talking about how uh, basically, what he did on the show was, uh, you know, the, the the judges say, "Hey, you know, I like this, I don't like that," and he, he and he basically would make the exact thing they said they didn't like to try to prove a point that that he could make it so they like it, and you know, he didn't last very long. And uh, she was saying, "Yeah, he was just like that in cooking school too. Like, I'm gonna force them to like what I I make, you know, like." But it, yeah, it seems like there would be kind of a a need, you know, especially when you're in a restaurant to to kind of have that balance of like. This is my creative stuff, pushing the bounds, but also need to make stuff that, that people want, you know. I think over time, people, you know, where we've got, West Seattle's been fantastic to us. Mm -hmm. um, and they've, we've got, I, my, my very first customer that ever walked through our door still comes in regularly. Sure. Um, and we, we have a lot of regulars, a lot of neighborhood people. And I think who, who wouldn't necessarily fit into that foodie group, but I think after a certain amount of time, they start to trust you as well. Yeah. Um, and, and so they, they might order Brussels sprouts, even though they hate them, because they, 
they think yours might be good. And 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 then that's it's 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 tough because one of the greatest pleasures as a cook is for someone to go, I hate sardines and those were fantastic, sure. or yeah. you know <laughs> whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so we we love hearing that, and 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 lucky I get to hear it pretty often. But it, it was about people trusting you through time as opposed sure. to forcing it on them. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I know West Seattle, you know, one of the themes I hear with a lot of restaurant owners is, you know, that community aspect of it. And, you, you know, you have your regulars and, and, you know, they've built that trust on that relationship over time. You know, that's, that's it's awesome. We live in an area like that. It's a really fantastic community. And, and, it's one that it's changing a lot, and you, you know. But I, I, I genuinely hope that with the the, the influx, that it, it retains that community feel because it's like a small town within a big city. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, what, what would you consider your greatest strength to be? Probably my sense of humor. Okay. Um, I, you know, if you don't laugh, you'll cry, <laughs> yeah. and and so I, I think, you know. Keeping that in perspective is important. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I tend to agree with you. So, uh, what's one habit that you wish you had? Um, I think I wish I was a better people person. Okay. Um, I you know I came up in kitchens with chef that chefs that communicated by yelling at you sure. and. Um, and I, I guess I wish I had better people skills. Okay. Um, <laughs> Does your wife kind of fill that role? Uh, She's wonderful. She is. When she was there more often. Yeah. I, I'm very jealous of my wife's eternal positivity. Um, what, what are you passionate about? What am I passionate about? Um, food, definitely. I mean, it's cliche. It's why I'm here, I guess. But yeah. you know, I, I love food. My, I love taking my family, my kids, you know, from the youngest is six, the oldest is 14. And there's not a restaurant in town, you know, that I could take them in and they won't sit there arguing what to order off the menu. You know, yep. they'll eat fish heads, they'll eat, yep. you know, whatever is thrown at them, you know, and, and, and I, I love food and I, and I love my family. My sure. family is pretty awesome. Yeah, that's great. Um, what would you say is one lesson that uh, you've learned, you know, while owning your own business, as far as you know, obstacles you, you may have overcome? Um, I I think the biggest thing with with owning your own business is if you're gonna jump in, you've got to just go with it and take each day at a time. You know, I think sometimes, especially when you're first starting out, the 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 big picture can be overwhelming um and i i think you have to break it down and just take each day at a time and and move on and keep moving forward and accomplish as much in that day as you can and and the rest will have to wait till tomorrow and that's okay sure um do you uh by chance have a story that kind of captures essence of that uh that lesson Having to pawn your stuff to make payroll—I I don't know. Have, um, have you had to do that? Yeah, Oof. yeah. Um, you yeah. know, we we moved back in with my parents um, about three years in, two two years in, mm-hmm. two and a half years, I guess it was, um, because we had the choice of keeping those doors open or 
or paying our rent. And at the time, it was important for us to keep going with with what was our dream, you know. And, and we were very lucky that that was an option. Yeah. I think with so many small businesses, the difference between success and failure is just sticking to it and keeping your head down and working hard and and you know leaning on what resources you have and finding the ones that you don't um we we were lucky we we were able to move in with them and they were able to help us with childcare and (laughs) and that's come around again you know now they need us you know with with their recent illness Uh, so you know my now it turns out that that was you know that's part of rolling with the punches is you know us moving in with them now mm-hmm. three years later they need us to take care of them you know with with their health and then that's unfortunate but at the end it really all worked out and yeah uh, earlier in, in our conversation you you mentioned the uh, the last place you worked you you kind of said you know hey Give you one year, and then I'm you know planning on opening my own place, but you know being there there three years. What uh, what kind of was holding you back from from starting your business, or uh, kept you there longer than intended? It took me quite a while to find a space. Mm-hmm. Um, that was I probably started looking about a year before I left my job up there for a space. Uh, almost had two different ones. They both fell through for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and just life, you know, things, yeah. you, you can make as many plans as you want and sometimes life, life will let you keep them and sometimes it won't. Right. Um, and I, I really enjoyed working up there with Philippe. That was probably part of it, my own procrastination and taking longer to actualize what I wanted to do. And, so I, I don't know if it was any harder. I, I knew I wanted to, 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 to open my own restaurant. I knew it would be a, a great regret if I went through life and didn't do it, whatever the outcome was. You know, you, you always would wonder, you know. Sure. What, uh, what, what is the best advice that you've ever received? I think realizing or, you know, I don't know who's, who put it into these words, but someone told me that we're, we're just feeding people you know it's not brain surgery it's not you know rocket you know science we're not changing the world we're just feeding people and when you when you gain that perspective it it it, it it's kind of freeing in a way you know it's, i guess that was part of maybe that came at a time when i, I needed to get over my own ego a little bit um but I think it was very freeing realizing at the end of the day, we're just feeding people, you know? Yeah. And the other sort of mantra I've always lived by was from Marco Pierre White's biography, which was simplicity is the last test of the master. I think so many people in the industry try and put so many things on the plate that it's just overwhelming. And you know, if, if you think about some really great meals you've had, often they were the simplest things. Sure. I don't know. I guess it goes back to perspective, you know. I don't think I'm a master by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, that idea that just 
the piece of meat cooked perfectly, you know, and seasoned just right, you know, doesn't get better. That chicken broth with buttered bread dipped into it, you know, the, the really simple things that are, that we enjoy, you know. Um, what, what would you say is one personal habit that you have that contributes to your success? For me, I think it's been my stubbornness. Um, not it's a personal habit and my, my my wife you know has just always stuck by me you know and and always believed in me and always grounded me and and told me what I need what I needed to hear not from a you know what I needed to hear point of view but from what needed to be said to me sure you know, she'd she'd tell it like it was, and and I think just having that support from her has been huge. That's that's awesome. I mean, it it, it seems in all of the people I know that own businesses and everyone I've talked to, you know, through these interviews, like you're not the businesses that make it are the ones where you know the owners are stubborn; <laughs> they don't give up when, when things get hard, and also you know the their you know their spouses or partners like they're in it together you know like they you're going to need each other's support like if one person doesn't support it like that makes it twice as hard four times as hard i mean yeah yeah four times as hard because yeah. it's exponentially more difficult because if you're fighting with them and fighting with everyone else sure. you're not going to win and now you know the, having that spousal support and not just spouse i think you know you can even take that to family beyond sure. you know whatever, having whatever team family you have around you like it's a it's a, it's a community effort Sometimes just going home and hugging my kids, you know, is, sure. that's what you need, you know, yep. after a tough day. And yeah, for sure. Do you uh, do you listen to podcasts? I do. What uh, what, are, what are some of your favorites? Um, I love stuff you should know. I think they do a great job. Um, I listen to a lot of NPR programs on podcasts. Uh, right. Wait, wait, don't tell me this American Life, sure. just because it's more convenient than catching them on air sure. uh the moth radio hour is fantastic uh since you've invited me on i've binge listened to yours so. nice. Nice. <laughs> it's not quite the same production quality as npr shows but <laughs> uh, it's just i love i love it as a medium because there's, there's, there's a couple other there's some local cooks here in seattle mm-hmm. the name of their podcast escapes me at the moment but the, you know they they come and just talk about what's going on that week and the food they cooked at work and you know, I love it as a medium because it lets anyone, be it, you know, sure. wanting to geek out on model trains and, and share what they know with someone or food or whatever, but it gives everyone a, a voice. And so sure. as a medium, it's fantastic. I've actually really, I've only probably the last year okay. really started to get into them and I've, I've really enjoyed it. Okay. Have you listened to any of the Gimlet Media's stuff? No. Okay. It's uh, Alex Bloomberg who created uh, This American Life and Planet Money. So he left NPR and started his own, kind of that style, high production quality stuff. Yeah, check out GimletMedia.com. And okay. They've got like a dozen podcasts now, but they're some pretty interesting stuff. So uh, I found him by a podcast he does. The first one's called Startup, it's the Startup Podcast. It's basically his narration and journey to start a podcast media uh, company, and uh, it's, it's pretty fascinating. So, um, if you could recommend just one book to our listeners, what would it be? 
I love reading. That's okay. an, another. And so this, this when I was reading your questions, um, I think um, I, I got it down to uh, to to Jitterbug Perfume or anything by Tom Robbins. He's okay. uh, one of my favorite contemporary authors. He's just fantastic. And, and um, Tom Robbins, he's actually he's. Sadly, probably one of the reasons I I love the Northwest. He's from up. Well, he he spent the his second half of his life up in in the Northwest, and he writes a lot about. A lot of his books are based in Seattle or part part in Seattle, and he just has the most fantastic command of the English language of any other author I think I've ever read. Okay, um, he some authors allow you to imagine things but I think a really great author makes you see what they want you to see and I think he makes you see what what he wants you to see and it's 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 a surreal world but okay. it's okay. it's fantastic okay. and uh, what's the best way for our listeners to either get a hold of you or uh, to find out more about the Blackboard Bistro um probably either Blackboard Bistro's Facebook page or um, our website, which is blackboardbistroseattle.com. Okay. Well, Jacob, is great meeting you. I enjoyed our conversation. I appreciate you giving up the time and uh, telling us a little bit about your story and your background. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for having me. Yep. Thank you much. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of the Seatown Podcast. Make sure to check out our guest website, support what they're doing, and show them some love. If you liked what you heard on this podcast, let us know by writing us a very nice five-star review on iTunes and subscribing. You can also find out more about me and other projects I'm working on by visiting ctown.com. Today's intro and outro music is courtesy of the Fascination Movement. You can find their albums in the iTunes store. The Seatown podcast creator and host is Christian Harris. This has been a Seatown Media Production. Music.